0: Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about herd dynamics and things like that that are hopefully not related to dominance theory, or we could talk about why dominance theory is wrong, but kind of just like how do herds function and how do those dynamics work if not dominance theory? I think that's mostly what we want to talk about, right? Yeah, pretty much. I only have one
1: true study because it was hard to find things that weren't dominance theory based. And even this one is a little (laughs) bit, but it's better than most of them. It's not like there's a stallion and then everyone's underneath. Like it's just... They're talking about things like, I don't know, like the periods of their life, like when they're foals, and it talks about breeding and a little bit about leadership, quote-unquote, but it's nothing horrible, but other than that, I could not find, like, anything, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was also struggling to find things. I mean, I found more... Vague things that seem to be like based on studies, but weren't directly from a study. So kind of have to take those with a grain of salt and be like, I don't know exactly how reliable this is, but it seems at least semi reliable. So
1: (laughs) I know Adele recommends reading horses and company. I got it today, but I haven't read it yet at all. I don't know what's really in there, but I trust Adele's opinion,
0: so <laughs> that's something. Yeah, maybe we'll have to do an updated episode once we read that book. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know there's stuff in Horse Behavior Exposed by Abigail Hogg, which I've recommended before on this podcast, but I don't have any direct quotes from that because I read it kind of a long time ago at this point, so. mm-hmm. but I know there's stuff in there.
0: I think you have quoted it before in other episodes, so I feel like sure. I vaguely remember that.
1: If I remember right, that book had some questionable things, but for the most part, it was a lot of really good information. So it's better than a lot of what's out there.
0: Yeah, that's really good.
1: I think a common thing people believe with hierarchy is that like, when you think of dominance theory, it's like there's one alpha and then they have that relationship to everyone, to every single horse that they have a relationship with. And that's not really how it works. It's a one-to-one relationship so
0: yeah yeah that's just one
1: thing one thing that bothers me when I hear like pecking order like anytime I've been in a boarding bar and they're like oh what does your horse rank I'm like "Uh, (laughs) I guess it depends like it's not a ranking system but he's gonna act differently to every horse
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's so true and I actually kind of saw like the instability of the You know, quote unquote, raking order firsthand with Coco because she used to be just like a complete bitch to everyone. Like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say bad words in this podcast, (laughs) but that's a pretty mild one. So I think it's fine. But she used to just be like very aggressive towards other horses. Like, she would kind of chase them off and do a lot of resource guarding. And just in general, if anyone approached her, she would kind of, you know, pin her ears, have some kind of negative body language and, you know, sometimes lunge at them and try to bite them or whatever. So she was not wanting to be approached by other horses. And because of that, like when I was younger, and I didn't know much about, you know, herd dynamics and whatnot, and I believed in dominance theory, I was like, oh, you know, she's very dominant. She is the leader of this herd or whatever. And then when we got her treatment for her illnesses, and she wasn't in so much pain, she stopped acting like that. And she started being much more calm and quiet. And much more willing to have other horses or humans or whoever around her, suddenly she went from being like, oh, you know, she's the alpha mare in this herd to being like, oh, she is just kind of on the you know, lower end of the totem pole. She's just kind of hanging out and not really like engaging in any of these like, you know, aggressive dominance things that I was seeing before. So that was really interesting for me because that kind of got me thinking like, wow, we think of this as such a you know, strict thing that can't change of like, all right, this is the alpha mare. But even in the same herd, she was already moving down to, you know, quote, unquote, a lower position. And so that was interesting, as someone who did believe in dominance theory at that time to see that and just be like, I don't know how this makes sense with this theory. So that caused me to question it. Yeah,
1: I love that you questioned it, because I think a lot of people are just like, oh, I guess the other horses just dominated her. (laughs) or something they make something up that fits that belief but yeah I think it's important to question everything pretty much (laughs) but yeah I had a kind of similar experience with wonder I don't think it was necessarily pain related but the barn he originally came from where I bought him they were really good about placing horses they'd only have two horses in one pasture at a time and most of them were turned out 24-7 but they were really good about placing him with the horse that he actually got along with. They tried him with like everyone there. And there was one mare he liked. (laughs) (laughs) So he was with her, but because of that, they had told me that he was high on the pecking order and with him, I think it's more just like anxiety related. I don't think it's necessarily like he wants to dominate them or be the leader or whatever. I think he has some confidence issues and is worried things are going to happen with his food because mm-hmm. that's been prominent with every barn we've been at. He's been like lunging at horses or even just like pinning his ears, some minor things too. But there was one barn we had like 16 horses or something, including him in one little tiny dry lot. They moved out of there quickly. Oh gosh, but <laughs> yeah, that's not great. <laughs> that was the one that like didn't feed them for like six days and told me it was fine. But <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, they fed them in their stalls, but not on turnout it was a whole thing but (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah but there he would show dominant again in quotations (laughs) behaviors of like pinning his ears baring his teeth lunging at horses he'd even bite them sometimes like some pretty severe stuff but it was only around resources if they had the whole pasture open and there was grass he didn't do anything like he just kept to himself and didn't care So I think Mm
0: -hmm.
1: more often than not, it comes from poor social skills because unfortunately we don't socialize horses like we do dogs. (laughs) I think we should. And then uh, it can be pain related like Coco, she was just not feeling well, or it could be like an anxiety or some sort of like mental discomfort type situation too.
0: Yeah, totally. There are so many different reasons for it. And I think I mean, a lot of what you touched on is that like resource guarding is a big one, and that is like a huge reason why horses show behavior in domestic settings that kind of looks like it might be dominance or looks like this type of hierarchy, because that's what is going to cause a lot of this conflict is because we set up environments where we're only giving them one food source or one water source or whatever. And so they're kind of feeling like they have to compete for this resource, especially since a lot of people potentially don't maximize the amount of food they're giving their horses to what it should be and whatnot. Like maybe don't give them enough hay or enough um, forage or whatever. So they feel like they kind of have to have a competition to get to these resources. And that does not happen nearly as much in the wild. So it's very much like a man-made thing with horses that kind of So it's almost like we created what we think of as dominance theory by like setting them up in situations that aren't really natural for them and are going to cause them to have to fight over resources.
1: Right. The only time I see my horses like, quote unquote, attacking each other is in play. Like sometimes they'll amp each other up and run around. They might like nip each other, but it's never like a true aggression. And that's because of the setup they have. They have turnout 24-7 and They only have one water source, technically like a larger one, but they have water installs too. I should do better with my water, but with winter it's kind of hard. I have limited outlets for (laughs)
0: de-icers. But that's totally fair. I mean, I think if you're not seeing like any resource guarding about the water, that's really the most important thing is like paying attention to them. If one water source is enough for them and they're happy, then that's totally fine
1: right and it's pretty open too and it's like 150 gallons so it's pretty big they can kind of move around so if one like pushes the other away, they can still drink there's enough room Mm -hmm. but they don't do that anyway so i'm not too worried about it but then like when i feed hay too they always get at least three piles because i try to do one for each horse and then one extra but usually i do even more i think i have five or six hay nets out there right now and then i have four trickle feeder toys because, wow. Like, I, I really don't want them to fight. <laughs> but I think in general it's a good idea to have one source for each horse and then one additional.
0: That is a very good idea and I think that makes sense. It's I think a lot of people just kind of like think if there's hay out there or whatever that's good enough, but they're not really actually paying attention to how the horses are like interacting with that one hay source and with each other because of that and they're not seeing that they probably need to put more out there.
1: Yeah, for sure. The most conflict I'll see over Hay is like, they'll both go to the same pile and then one walks away. (laughs) And that's all that (laughs) happens. It's not dramatic at all. And that's what you should be seeing. But the way we set up our environment for horses, it just, it's setting them up for failure, really.
0: That is really true. I think another thing that I've noticed is that I, I think a lot of people who like understand the science of horse interactions and like that dominance theory is not real and whatnot are just very quick to like see the word dominance and immediately be like no 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 and like I do this for sure like when I see somebody use the word dominance I'm like no and it's not a very useful word it's pretty much a label that's like not at all actually describing what's going on and not giving much information but at the same time I do think it's important to note that on an individual level horses could have a relationship with each other where one is more confident and one is more of the leader than the other and so that might kind of Result in something that we would look at and be like, oh, that horse is dominant. And I think, like, if you're looking at that on a really individual level and you're saying, like, this is the current relationship between these two horses, it could change and these relationships will be different with other horses. I think if you're going to use the word dominant in that situation, it's a lot less like unscientific and inaccurate than if you're using it in terms of like, this is the lead mare and she's dominant over everybody. So I think. Also, maybe something I can do better is try to look into more like what's being said. Because even though like I wouldn't advocate for using the word at all, because it's not useful. I think there are certain situations in which it like could be used in a way that's like a little bit more scientific versus like other ways where it's just not at all accurate.
1: Yeah, when I think of dominance in like actual scientific terms, not dominance theory, I think of like a horse in the wild going to a water source and everyone else follows. Like it's more like a leadership thing rather than like, I have power over you. Cause like in a way, I guess they are controlling them. If one horse goes, they're probably all gonna follow, but it's not like, I don't know, it's not like a dictatorship or something insane like that. It's just they're a herd, they work
0: together. Yeah, that's that's very true. And like I mentioned to you before we started filming, um, I found a study that was by, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's B-O-U-R-J-A-D-E is the name. I do not want to try to pronounce that. Um, they did two studies in 2009 and 2015, where they were looking at wild horses and how they kind of moved from place to place. And they found that leadership wasn't unique to any specific group member. So any horse in the herd was able to Kind of initiate a movement to like a new food area or a water source or whatever. So, I think that's really interesting to show that like in that moment, that horse is kind of displaying leadership because they're moving and everyone's following. But it's not like a constant thing. Like the next time, a different horse will probably be the one moving the herd.
1: Yeah, and it usually is based on needs, from my understanding too. Like a pregnant mare might be the one that leads to go find a good grazing spot or a water source. But and like. I don't know, videos and documentaries about wild herds, it's typically like depicted that the stallion is the one doing all of it. And that's not usually the case. They can, but more often than not, it's the one that needs the source that's leading the herd
0: there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think, yeah, that that definitely makes sense. Whichever horse needs something is more likely to kind of cause that movement to happen and I also saw that they were finding from their study that a lot of the time like it wasn't actually just one horse doing it a lot of the time there would be subtle signals that were kind of exhibited by multiple horses in the herd that like they were kind of getting ready to get up and move on and then one horse would kind of like initiate it more clearly but there were kind of like these subtle signals going on beforehand so it's sort of like the group is very in tune with each other and very much like on the same page about what they're going to be doing anyways. And then there's just kind of like one horse that might be more obviously initiating it.
1: I think that subtlety is really important too because with dominance theory, we depict horses as like these creatures that are just wreaking havoc for no reason. (laughs) That's not usually the case. I mean, maybe occasionally that might happen. I don't think it's like deliberately, but they're really peacemakers. Like all they want to do is just in harmony with everything. That's one of the things I love most about horses. I don't know why people try to take it
0: away. Yeah, I agree completely. That is one of my favorite things about horses too, is that they are so peaceful and they are, you know, very calm and quiet usually in their, you know, natural state. And I think that's really, really great. And I think it's just so strange that people want to prescribe that to horses of being aggressive and being so wild. And like you said, wreaking havoc, I don't know, aggression and conflict is so costly for them. Like they usually move at pretty slow speeds. They they walk a lot, but they usually walk, you know, more slow and steady and a lot of walking than going really fast anywhere. If you see horses just kind of hanging out on their own. Now I mean sometimes they'll run and play, but for the most part they're kind of slow and steady. And I noticed that in my training too, like when I'm asking them to do something, they'll move pretty slow sometimes. And it's not that they're like not wanting to do it. That's just kind of naturally how they want to move. And also as prey animals, like they're not wanting to constantly like engage in this fighting because if they're going to, you know, get injured or get anything happening to them that's not ideal, then they may be put in a kind of undesirable position where they're going to be more at risk to be hurt by something else. And so especially like in the wild, you see horses don't typically have much aggression at all. And so I think that's like really important to remember is that it's just not natural for them at all.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of that, again, goes back to how we manage them. Another thing that I've seen in a lot of the studies I looked at, even the ones that I quickly (laughs) left, uh, (laughs) they talked about herd size, and it's pretty typical from what I've seen, at least in my area, to have like 20 horses out in the same pasture, and that's not really what happens in the wild. Typically, it's like one stallion and two or three mares, and that's about the max. Like They have groups of like four or five, and that's about it. They'll socialize Mm -hmm. with other herds, but really the one family band is like the technical herd. So I've seen it like National Geographic and like other nature documentary things where you'll see like 50 to 100 horses running together, but that's not the herd. The herd is broken up into really tiny chunks.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's what I saw too. I saw one source, it wasn't really a study, but it was talking about how there are kind of family groups that will kind of graze together, groom together, and the foals will play together like within different um, groups. So they're like more split up, but they'll interact with one another. There's no overall organization in this group. There's no like one horse who's like in charge of the, you know, whole giant group or whatever. It's more so these like smaller groups that are just interacting and, you know, they might do things together one day and then the smaller family group might Not be with that larger group again another day. So it's just, I think a lot of it comes back to it's a lot more dynamic and a lot less structured and hierarchical than we want to think it is. Because for us, we're humans, of course, we want everything to make sense and be this clear hierarchy. But horses are not humans and they don't really see things that way. And in fact, they don't even really have the like brain parts and brain capacity to be able to understand hierarchy in that way that we do. So that's just definitely not how they interact. Also,
1: the pecking order study was done on chickens. So (laughs) (laughs) that was debunked anyway, but that was in on chickens. So why are we using it for horses who are not even like in
0: the same category of animals? (laughs) That is so true. And I I know that they have a, a sort of test where they do that with horses. It's called like the bucket test. And basically they break the herd up into like groups of two and you know do every every pair together with each other so every horse will be going multiple times with every other horse and they have a bucket of like oats or something and they put the two horses together and they see who's the first horse that gets to you know eat the oats or whatever and they that's kind of been a thing that people are like oh you know that's showing dominance or whatever but they did the study they you know did like a replication of the study in 2017 in Switzerland. And they saw that while there was sort of like some type of quote unquote hierarchy that they saw from that, it actually did not track with how the horses behaved in everyday life. So when they were actually watching the horses in the herd, like it didn't adhere to the same type of things that it did in the bucket test. And so that's really interesting, too, because, you know, even between two horses, the way they act in one situation may be really different from the way they act in another situation. And so even if like a study is showing certain results in one situation, it's important to remember that like they are really dynamic animals with their relationships and they're probably going to interact differently in a different situation. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Horse relationships are
1: so fluid. I don't know why we don't acknowledge that. Like it's no different than people. Like if we meet someone new, we're not best friends with them right away, but maybe a year from then we will be, or maybe we won't like them at all. And like the horses are the same way. They can grow relationships or they can end relationships. I mean, we don't really allow them to in our setups, but naturally they'd (laughs) be able to. But, like with my horses, they were friends pretty much right off the bat, which I'm really lucky because I didn't introduce Aww. them
0: properly. <laughs> like, I just kind of put them in the field <laughs> together and was like, okay, go ahead. But <laughs> yeah, well, that's great that they're friends. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I was thinking in my head, because I still had some of the dominance theory ideas, that Wonder would be like the leader because he's older, but normally it's actually Phoenix. And I think it's because he's just in general less fearful, like, he's more confident in his environment than Wonder is. And that's another thing that people don't really pay attention to. I think normally we're like, oh, the older horse is just going to show the younger one how to do everything. But sometimes it's the other way around.
0: Yeah, that's really true. And I think that can you that can kind of relate to what you were saying before too about like the the dynamicness of the relationships too, like how they can form and end relationships. I think even like within one relationship, there could be certain things that like one horse is more confident about and another horse. Is less confident about but then in a different situation that could be reversed and another horse could be more confident like I don't know one horse might know more about like trailer loading so if you're taking them both on the trailer then one might be a lot more confident and the other one might be sort of like whoa what's going on whereas if you're going on a trail ride the opposite horse might be the one who's been on trail rides and is like oh I'm more confident here like obviously that's not really a situation in which the horses are going to be like interacting with each other freely but just kind of like a random example that came to mind of how like different animals and people or really anybody has a different confidence level in a different situation and so that can affect how they're going to interact. Confidence is like a whole other topic honestly. Yeah,
1: (laughs) It's such a big construct that could mean so many different things and so many different situations with so many different horses but I think that's so true. In general, people know what we mean when we say confidence. Yeah, like just <laughs> it's definitely
0: a label that probably yeah. should be explained better. But I do think, like you said, people know what you're saying, but still should probably specify more clearly. Uh, one thing I was going to say
1: that's not related at all to what we were saying before, but mayors are usually like fluid and when they can leave and come back to the herd they'll jump around her sometimes like it's fully their decision so that kind of also debunks the dominance theory because if a mare was submissive to a stallion she wouldn't be allowed to leave like that wouldn't be something that happens but they do it all the time
0: <laughs> yeah that's very true I didn't even really know that that was a thing but that makes sense and I'm not surprised yeah and I don't know, it's just, that's interesting to me. It's not in this
1: study I found, but I've read it elsewhere where I can't remember the source. So, I mean, if it's totally wrong, someone can call me out. But,
0: <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's really interesting. I think, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I hope you enjoyed this
1: episode of Click, Treat, Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at click, treat, repeat, Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every other Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training.